We are just winging it. The morning edition. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Just Wing at headquarters. It's a beautiful Saturday morning here live on the East Coast of the United States, and I'm here we with my well friend John. We are well caffeinated. We are very well caffeinated. We both got our coffee. Mine's That's almost a- done. I can see where yours is at because it's a clear mug, which is fancy. It's transparent, and you can tell I actually haven't even started drinking it yet. I had one sip, and that's how fast it hits me, John. You know, I'm imagining for you, like, that caffeine, I'm going to watch you drink that, and immediately you're going to be like, bah! Yeah, you're going to have a good visual indicator for just mm-hmm. how hyped up I am. You exactly, know? exactly. Yeah. No, but I, I, I appreciate... I just, I just got tired again, though. It's sunny... Um, and you know, typically we do more afternoon when we're in a lull and maybe that's about the right energy level that y'all would want to hear from us versus what you're going to hear now. Um, yeah. I, I always like doing mornings cause I feel like the energy is different. There's a sense of like, there's like an optimism. There's a sense of, uh, <laughs> it's so of, true. <laughs> we're not resigned to the world yet. You know, it's the best morning is, I mean, certainly for me, you know, someone who goes to bed at like six o'clock at night now, um, morning is, is where it's at. Morning is where it's at for me, too. As somebody who was a night person for most of my life, this is, I I mean, we shouldn't already transition into the episode, but during (laughs) COVID, I have become uh, a morning person for real. I've really started to embrace this idea of like getting up a little earlier Mm. and um, doing things in the morning and front loading the day a little bit more. And uh, and then like having that sense of having accomplished something for the entire rest of the day. Because if you talk to a lot of like successful people, quote unquote, and I do really put quotes on that. Um, <laughs> yes, thank you for that. They, a lot of them have in common that the morning is a really important time for them where they meditate and they do like their routine, get exercise for sure, in. For sure. And I can see why, because you, you go the whole day with this, like having started with a sense of, you know, productivity. That's true. So you're about to hear some real talk, uh, morning talk from, from Patrick and John. This is the podcast, by the way, in case you're just tuning in for the first time, because I'm sure every single day there are, you know, about a million new people uh, who tune in. And this is the podcast that you can just sort of check in with a couple of dads about life and parenting. And um, what else, Patrick? That's really it. Life and parenting, (laughs) occasional, a a lot of sewage humor. We had a good one last episode. Thank you, John, for that. That's true. I hope we don't have any this episode. I I would hate to have to hear about another, you know, poop story uh, because it would mean something bad happened, probably. Yeah. No, we we, that's the thing is that, like, as our kids get older, the poop stories become more, like, they're less (laughs) funny and more concerning. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, if if I'm talking about my kids pooping, then that's like like an issue that we need to get clinical help with because they're... (laughs) You're not supposed to be doing that at this point. Um, we did delay the start of recording so that I could poop. So that was a nice, I appreciate that gesture. That did happen. That and did that, happen. That happened because I had, you know, made coffee and smelled it and my body was like, evacuate, <laughs> evacuate. Do you, do you do that? Oh yeah. Coffee has that. I mean, I have to actually drink it first, but. I can just smell it now. I'm like Pavlov's dogs, yeah, but with feces. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that might, I don't know. I, I could see that playing out. I just always drink it immediately after, you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. You don't just linger by a toilet smelling it and waiting for something to happen? <laughs> I mean, it's a great way to just get that bowel movement going when you really need to, you know? You want to just purge your body. My, part of my morning routine, you know? You just you meditate, deodorant now is just a coffee grind deodorant. <laughs> just evacuate my bowels feverishly into a toilet. Um, um, I hope those new listeners are really enjoying this, haven't dropped off already. Yeah, well, you know, we go, we, we gain a million, lose a million every episode. It's sort of it's like the way of knows? life, isn't it? Who knows what's going to happen? Um, um, no, I'm, feel, I'm feeling good. We got soccer today. Yeah, so life you is played good. Soccer today? No, Jude is. is his soccer season has started. Yeah, with a game. With a game. Um, no, soccer season. Soccer season is back Socrates. up and running now. Mm-hmm. Socrates. 
and and I'm really enjoying that just a lot. I remember during the doldrums of winter, I was specifically like thinking of this moment because I was like, I know that once like soccer starts up again, it's yeah. going to feel more like there's other people out there and more like life is sort of in a rhythm again and we're outside a lot more. And it will mean the weather is warming up. And so here we are in that. And I'm pleased to report that indeed there are people out there, John, outside of your basement. <laughs> there are people out there. You know I there haven't are. left I since report. March of 2020. It's true. I can report back gladly. This that is there my are life now. There. Um, I just have also, a series of green screens in my basement that help me uh, be other places without actually going there. Do you? Yeah. And people talk to you, but they're not as making long eye as contact. I, yeah. As long as I record myself, you know, looking like I'm in other places, it's the same thing, really. So are the people that you're inter- interacting with also just recorded versions of yourself? My That's family what I like left think. me in June of 2020. <laughs> I've just been down here with a pretend, you know, green screen. Uh, every now and then we visit each other through Zoom. But you know. just talking, just talking to like little facsimiles of yourself <laughs> being like, hi, John, you look great. Every today. story I've told these last yeah few years is just completely made up. Wouldn't that be so sad? Wow. This really that that's a depressing way to bring the energy down. I'm trying to think through whether that would like what that would make for it if that were made into a film or something. I mean, I don't think anyone would want to watch that, but it would be interesting, wouldn't it? It'd be like a a specific pandemic um, psychology thriller or something. Psychological I, I honestly, thriller, I guess, is what did they call that? Got a chill just now <laughs> thinking about how you could make a really good pandemic era movie out of that. You know, what's funny, though. Talk. This is sort of related to the theme, too. You know, there was a time like 18 months ago, do you remember, where there were all of these pandemic movies that came out all of a sudden, not about like the pandemics, like, you know, contagion, but yeah. about like people living in isolation and about couples that are like having a romance over oh, Zoom yeah, 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 and things. Yeah, yeah. There were like all these movies that came out and then no more of them came out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody was like, okay, it's not They're over like, yeah, yet. Yeah, we're done with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we're not making art out of it anymore. Right. But now Too maybe soon. it's time to return to it. You know, now maybe uh, we have a new perspective. Maybe, and that's kind of the whole driver of of this episode, which, I mean, this is free-flowing, and I guess we'll dip in and out of the actual theme. Um, But one thing I did want to share that was exciting for me over these last couple of weeks, it was kind of like, you know, just a thing on my calendar that I had been looking forward to for a while um, was my first concert. Um, Now, this is not, to be clear, me playing a concert. Um, I've got at least a few more months before I can professionally play the TD Garden in Boston. Um, but you did. Well, hang on, hang on. You did play a concert, John. Let's be fair. clear here. You you have played a rock concert during the pandemic <laughs> with yours truly. A Zoom holiday experience. A Zoom holiday party rock mm-hmm. concert. That's true. And I do look forward to doing that again with you in person um, through some event at some point. Yeah. Um, but no, I actually attended a concert for the first time. Um, you know, since before the pandemic, I was trying to. I think it was actually. Believe it or not, the last concert I think that I had gone to before the pandemic was that conference where we talked about Imagine Dragons. I had gone and, you know, I saw them. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Little did I know that's the fucking last concert. That was what you were left with. That would have to like, yeah, keep me um, going until now. Because, you know, I I mean, I'm not like someone who would attend a concert every month or week or whatever. But, um, you know, I'd go to at least one or two a year. And, I mean, you just can't beat live music right i mean obviously you know this and and so i saw jack white a couple weeks ago um, nice at an arena and it was just you know i i particularly because i had gotten into guitar uh now a year and a half ago and certainly one of the inspirations for me it was jack white i remember seeing him on an snl 
um, early on in the pandemic, I guess, you know, he did, he did a live performance and watching that guy play guitar, man, I'm just like in awe, you know, it's, it's fucking, it's thrilling. I mean, I've always been a big fan, but the energy that he puts into it. And so it was particularly meaningful, um, you know, back in, I think December when I bought the tickets, um, to see that, that I'd have the chance to see him and that this would be like the moment of, you know, doing another big event again and feeling okay about that. Um, and so, so yeah, I went, uh, with a friend and it was fucking awesome. I mean, it was just surreal, you know, and definitely overwhelming, I will say to be <laughs> in a mass of people. I didn't, I didn't get, you know, uh, floor level. I would have normally, but given the circumstances, it felt like I should. For, for real, you would normally do floor level. You actually are one of the people that pay for that. Well, it's actually, it's usually cheaper. Is it really? Yeah, yeah, because you don't yeah. have a, you don't have an actual. Seat. Oh, you can't see anything. So, right. well, I mean, it all depends, right? If you get there early enough, so okay. <laughs> or if you're not like fucking a midget, like I am. I mean, yeah. when I go to a U two concert, I'm there. Like, I get there at least. You have to get there at least an hour before they even open doors, and and you can wait in line, and you can get real close because you're talking about a huge stage. So, like, getting you know even two or three people back from the front. Like that's typically what I would do for a concert when I'm where I'm like real, you know, a super fan in the case of you two. Mm-hmm. And so for this Jack White one, if this were normal times, yeah, I think I would have done that because there's nothing like, you know, even though it's a huge uh, arena, when you're that close, it doesn't matter because you're there. Like it could be a small club. Or, I mean, obviously the acoustics are different, but um, so yeah, normally because you know being up close like that would be fun. But in this case, I was like that might be a little too much, and I'm glad that I made that call because. <laughs> I mean, nobody was wearing, very few people were wearing masks. And actually, I didn't either because because I was in the stadium, you know, seating kind of arrangement. Um, and literally, there were these industrial, you know, f- you could feel the air moving around you. Yeah. Um, and it just, I don't know, it just, I didn't feel like I had to. Um, but it, it did feel overwhelming to be surrounded by people again. And I don't know about you, but every, even though... Even concerts where I'm where I'm a huge fan and presumably a lot of the people are pretty cool because they're also fans of that person. I still always feel like when I'm at a concert, probably 75 percent of the other people are just idiots that I don't want to like necessarily hang out with. <laughs> I do have that experience every time I go to any live event. I'm like, yeah. who the fuck are these people? Right. Like, where, where did they come from? Yeah. And and they're thinking that about you, too. Obviously. They are. I know. I'm I'm 100 percent somebody that they're thinking that. Yeah. Of. Yeah. But I mean, you hear some of the people talking and it's like, Jesus, you know, yeah. Um, so anyway, it was it was a big moment just be, it was something to look forward to for a while and and being able to go to that on multiple levels, you know, as a as a recent guitar player, um just appreciating someone who is, you know, at that level, <laughs> one of the one of the few like more recent guitar heroes, although, you know, fucking White Stripes came out over it's 20, like 20 years ago. 20 years ago, <laughs> 25 years ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, a bit definitely a major figure though. He's he's a he's a big deal. And this is not White yeah. Stripes, right? This is just Jack White. Right. So he's been solo for uh maybe that's been I mean the White Stripes weren't together that long. So yeah. he's been solo for over 10 years. Well well over I'm sure it's like 15 or something. I don't even know. Um but of course, you know, I was thinking about this as a creative person, this whole episode is going in a weird direction, I guess, but it must be so hard. Obviously, this is true for so many bands, especially the ones who, you know, came out in the 60s, 70s, blah, blah. Um, but to to play songs and have, like, genuine new material, but to know that your your fan base is still the most, you know, responsive to the things that you had done 20 years ago, right? Even though you've been, <laughs> as a creative person, you've been putting stuff out there, you know, for decades. And yet the thing that always, right, gets the most... Um, 
feedback is is the original. That must be so hard as a creative person, you know. Yeah, to be, we were talking to feel about stuck this in that. Literally yesterday, this was Mike and I were talking <laughs> about this yesterday evening, because so for, the first concert we were supposed to go to during COVID was Saint Vincent, which was ah, last year. Nice. Who I, I just love. She's incredible, and we had yeah. I had bought tickets. I, I, I'm on her mailing list, so like whenever there's a concert date invite, she actually that sends goes you out, physical mail. She yeah. she sends me an actual letter. It's really nice. She's, it's like a subscription service. I think she makes little boxes. Yeah, <laughs> she sends with... a gift box. Yeah, it's weird. It's got like recipe ideas in it. Um, no, but I got this uh, this. You know, the email about the concert tickets being available. So I just instantly I was like, this is going to be what we yeah. look forward to because this was like, a, a, you know, a year and a half ago now. So so I bought them for pretty late in 2021, mm-hmm. knowing that, uh, you know, things the like COVID was going to be done. So it's not going to have to be a problem, you know, <laughs> and then the concert was like pushed back because of COVID. And then it was getting later in the year and it was during Omicron. And we made that call. We were like this. It feels like just it just feels like a bad time. So we didn't end up going. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did also have tickets to Doobie Brothers during that same time, and that was a few weeks later. And I don't yeah. know about you, I love me some Doobies. They're they're you know, a they're great band, classic band. I just can't. I don't have. I haven't formed any opinion on them. Like I don't know enough. It's just a band that I haven't uh, dove dove divin dive <laughs> dove <laughs> dive it into. Well, you should also you you have whether you know it or not because they've oh, had so oh, many. Oh, I know hits. I have. Like, That's the thing. Like, I know I have. But you know? right, 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 right. And um, there's and so, so many, many bands like too. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just these huge bands that have been around for forever. Anyway, so this was their 50th anniversary tour. You know, I love Doobie Brothers. My mother-in-law loves Doobie Brothers. We planned this a long time ago. We're like, we're going to go see the Doobie Brothers together and in like this? November, yeah. or November, I think, of last year. Okay, okay. So we were like, fuck it. Like, we didn't do St. Vincent. We're going to do this. And so yes. we went, and, you know, Micah came and, and you know, her brother came and, and his girlfriend. And we all hung out and had a really great time. But it was uh, it was at a time when people were still, like, very much masking everywhere mm. because... It, like, but that was a window where things were actually... The numbers are probably lower than they are now. If the, I, remember, I mean, yeah, does, everybody has COVID again right now, which is crazy. But yeah, yeah, but that was like... that was So we hadn't had the Omicron, like blow over yet of course of course yeah it's just like nobody even gave a shit anymore because it just like everybody got it and, <laughs> and everybody was fine who was vaccinated you know yeah so this was like before that had really blown up um and we went there and we wore masks but like just absolutely nobody else did and it was just this wow. just colossal arena of people without masks on and i was like man we are like so fucked if this thing takes off again and sure enough, then Omicron or whatever variant it was of that, I think that was Omicron, like right. just blew up crazy. And and I think it's because, you know, I, we could see it kind of in action at that point. Yep. People had already kind of taken the brakes off and of uh, it was a little too early for it. That being said, it was a great concert. And I was <laughs> t- saying to Micah, like, you know, they have hits like listen to the music or like, uh, you know, like these these things from this night, early 1970s, like 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 what a fool believes, right? These mm. songs that are just part of pop culture. Yeah. That they have to play in every single concert. Right. And they've been doing it for 50 years. So, like, how do you, if you're Michael McDonald, who's like my fucking hero, and you're sitting there at your Casio keyboard slapping out the hits, and you're singing What a Fool Believes, which you wrote when you were like 23 years old, and you're still right. fucking singing that song. Like, how do you get the uh, enthusiasm? Because he still rocked it. He was great. It's it's a gift, you know? Oh, totally. I mean, and, and I suppose I would imagine there's some gratitude there, you know, for them to feel like, wow, this is, this has, lived on for this long so i'm sure there's an element of that i hope um and appreciating it but what i feel acutely aware of is how many of these bands you know who are still actually creating new stuff and it just doesn't get 
you know, a response, or at least it doesn't get the same. And I don't, I mean, I actually think Jack White's new stuff got a great response and he fucking crushed, like hearing him play, I almost said he crushed it, which is just so fucking you, I think you actually fraternity. did say, you said that he crushed it. Um, I did, yeah. That's recorded, um, John. I, I, I want to delete that from Yo, the he fucking recording. crushed it. <laughs> he straight up slapping crushed it. I feel like did. that immediately aged me, you know? Like, what yeah. do kids say now? I say, like, when I say dope, that's, like, yeah. something that I actually did say 20 years ago. Yeah. And then it, like, went out of style. And now that it's back, I feel like every time I say it, people are like, what is this old <laughs> man doing saying something's my, dope? My but, like, 10 and dope. 11, yeah, my 10 and 11-year-old nephews were over. I was, like, you know, watching them after school for, for a day last, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, my kids came home after their school, too, and they were excited to spend time or whatever. And my 11-year-old nephew, he looked at a picture that Grace had drawn of me, and he just goes... That's disgusting. Who made this? <laughs> <laughs> I fucking died laughing. But Grace was standing there, you know, and the poor kid, like, you know, she put a lot of effort into it. And, like, it has a ton of detail. You yeah, know? I'm picturing it photorealistic. I mean, I'll show you a picture after because it actually is disgusting. Yeah. Um, but, 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 I mean, the, she put so much detail into it. Um, and his reaction, it just, it was hilarious. But then I was like, is that a... Is that like what we would say? Sick, you know. That's sick. Oh, pre- like it's just no, John. That's no. Not, that's not what that meant. That was not a compliment. He literally like threw up in his mouth a little when he looked. He's like, at that's it. a fucking abomination, Grace. <laughs> is that like cool? I mean, now? he had a like, visceral reaction to it. Yeah, the gag reflex is part of. It's right. like what the kids do. They go. Unfortunately, like, oh. he then went on to look at a picture she had drawn of her, like a self portrait, and said that too. He and said it was disgusting. Yeah, and that's wow. what I, because, you know, it was when she was like, probably, it's probably a year old and it was sort of like, you know how when they, they're not, things aren't quite symmetrical. So you've got an eye that's kind of like drooping down and things just look off and it, it, it does, you know, genuinely look kind of disgusting. Kind of like horror. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, But again, the detail, you know, she put so much effort into it. So it was kind of sad to see, but you know, whatever, I guess that's just any artist um, it relates to what we were just talking about. You know, you got to take the good and the bad, I guess. You do. You got to play the hits regardless of whether or not you want to. <laughs> you know, you got to hit the road. Uh, no, I, I got to say, like, I'm, I'm really excited to go to more concerts. There was, there's a concert coming up in three weeks that I was planning on going to, but we can't because we have a, a trip with some old college friends, which I'm very much excited about. Mm. But, uh, but I was going to go see Gojira and Deftones in concert, which was nice. like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of semi-closeted metalhead. So uh-huh. that's something that I've been like really excited about because Gojira, I don't, do you listen to Gojira at no, all? No, no. They're just one of my absolute favorite bands. You should. You, they're, they're, I will definitely check them out after. They're like very heavy metal, but they're so good. And all of their lyrics for the most part are about um, like ecosystem destruction and indigenous rights and about mm. like, like they're about the things that Oxfam works on yeah and joe duplantier the lead singer was he grew up in france and there was like a contaminated waterway near him and like his brother got an ear infection from swimming once and he was like so like astounded that nobody was fixing it wow so he was like he made metal music because he wanted an outlet to scream about how frustrated he was and so they're now like big environmental activists and uh, and their songs are like so full of rage, but about rage rage about things that like are universally mm. frustrating, right? Yeah, yeah. Like song like about like the depletion of the Amazon rainforest. Like that's something that's like fucking infuriating to anybody. Absolutely. Right? And they and they scream about it. So it, they're really good. Gojira, check them out. All right, I'll definitely. Uh, so they are a big sponsor of ours now too. After they this. are welcome to Gojira. Or are we the, a sponsor the of theirs? I don't know. I think uh, it goes both ways. <laughs> so I guess. I guess we should just try I mean, it's a natural transition. You know, one of the things I think we've both missed is those kind of uh, live events. And 
that's something that I'm happy to be able to return to. Thankfully, it's not something we've lost altogether. <laughs> Although I, I suppose it's interesting to think about all the creative people, um, yourself included, of course, who 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 lost that experience. I mean, that I really feel for, especially those who are literally, you know, they're making a living or maybe just hitting their early part of their career where they were, you know, they had a tour planned or whatever, and it all got disrupted in ways that you can't, you can't take back, right? Like they were in a moment. Um, so I do think about that, but um, I suppose that's a whole other topic. <laughs> well, I think that's definitely the, uh, I mean, speaking personally, and I know you yeah. also as a creative person, that's a huge, it was a huge part of my COVID experience and continues yeah. to be. Um, but I guess in, in kind of framing this conversation a little bit, you know, the, the, there was an episode that I proposed like two months ago that mm. was talked, that we talked about doing, that was called like how to grieve, right? So when COVID happened, we pretty instantly were thrust into this new paradigm and we had to adapt to it. And we just had to keep moving in the direction that we were being thrown into just to, you know, literally keep our families safe. That's right. And to stay, you know, employed and to be able – so we kind of went into this weird holding pattern for a long time. And uh, in the process of doing that, I think we ignored or chose to – or either, you know, willfully ignored or were blind to a lot of things that changed without us being able to say goodbye to them. Yeah. And so for a lot of us, I think there is this specter hanging over a lot of this isolation, you know, from COVID where there's a sense of like, what the hell was life like before this? what like remained from that and like what did I not get a chance to say goodbye to because I didn't know it was the last time I was mm. going to do it right mm. so uh but the ep- the window for that episode kind of came and went and, the, and in the intervening two months things really have changed a lot I mean you know pretty this dramatically is, yeah like my family got COVID uh so did just so many other people that we know um you know, we've had waves that have completely like diluted the virulence of it. So that at this point, if you're vaccinated, it's just really not that big of a concern anymore, at least for us. Yeah. I still haven't gotten it yet. And you haven't either, but it's like one not of those that I'm things. Aware where, of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm just not like very afraid of it at all. And, uh, and, you know, we're seeing people again. We just hosted Easter at our house and we had all these family, you know, and friends come and like, um, it feels increasingly more now like we are returning to something, but it's not actually a return. It's more of like a chapter turning over yes it feels like it's integrated now like this is this will be the first surge now right which is another surge uh that's starting or maybe we're in the middle of i don't know know, (laughs) i don't think anybody even cares enough to track on you know part two where like it's it's happening omicron part two fuck off you know like (laughs) um where it really does feel different um you know hospitalizations haven't really been rising certainly deaths don't rise anymore with these surges right because it's more treatable and and so many people have had it or are vaccinated thankfully so yeah it definitely feels like a new chapter i agree with that you know like who knows what will come but it does feel as though the the worst of i hate to say it because you know fucking who knows what will happen tomorrow but it seems like the worst of covid is behind us for for now and and we've it's about sort of integrating it and getting back to some life where we're not um, forced to hunker down, you know, mask up everywhere and, and all those precautions. I think, you know, certainly there'll be some in, in different moments and all of that, but it's very different now. Yeah. And and so what I like about how you reframed it is like, what have we lost and what have we gained? Right. Or yeah. like, what have we lost and what have we found? That's another way that I would, I would say, I, I feel like <clears throat> my self exploration journey mm. since COVID has been the most like intense 
and difficult of my entire lifetime, including like the turbulence of adolescence and, you know, being a little kid, all these, these times that you associate with rapid change. Like for me, there has been no more rapid change in myself than during COVID. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so now that I'm like letting my guard down again, and now that we're reintegrating, like I said, we have a soccer game in an hour to go to, like, there's still those changes within me still exist and they're still Mm. there. And, and what's so fascinating to me is that they're almost all good, right? Mm. Even if they weren't while it was like happening, but the sense of like resilience and the sense of awareness of myself and of the like incredible, um, finitude of our time on this planet. Like those are things that I did not have a real sense of until COVID happened before COVID. And I think this is a little different. We've talked about it in other episodes and especially because of your cancer, you know, experience, but like before COVID mortality was a complete non-issue for me. It was just something that even though I have lost many people in my life, you know, I haven't had any grandparents alive for 25 years now, um, and uncles and aunts, but like I didn't, uh, I didn't recognize mortality as something that I needed to be immediately concerned about mm, with mm. my immediate circle until COVID happened, right? Yeah, yeah. And now it's like, what do I what do I do with that knowledge? What do I do with that awareness? And and so that's yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but for me personally, a lot of these like fundamental concepts of self and time and mortality are just different now. Oh, that that feels spot on. I mean, and I'm sure it's true for so many people, if not everyone really, whether they know it or not. Um, I also wonder if there's something interesting about, um, the sort of, okay. So in this show, right, since the beginning, a topic that's really played out for us is our own identity where, you know, the beginning episodes you'll hear of this show, the first couple seasons, even so much of it is about our transition still because we were young dads and now we're, (laughs) we're not as young. Um, so much of it was about our um losing a sense of our own identity as a as an individual and it being you know really um bound up in being a father right a new dad and and all of our energy just going into that really i mean the you know our life our life was centered in parenting in ways that for me feel different and i wonder how much of what's happened is this sort of interwovenness if that's even a word um, of, of, you know, COVID, but also for me, I, I feel like I've been finding myself again in some, in some ways, um, in, in ways that like now my kids are at least less dependent on me. They're still young, you know, they're four and six, obviously I still have to do a lot with them and for them, but, um, they're at an age now where, you know, they're, they're, they're able to do stuff on their own. They're developing their own social circles and more independent. And I've been, really aware of um, how much I've like been looking at my own identity and not in like a necessarily always conscious way, but I mean a really practical one that I continue to bring up is hobbies, you know, like what do you enjoy doing with your time? <laughs> and that's, that's a question that um, has surfaced for, I think for everyone with COVID because we've all had more time by ourselves or with ourselves and, you know, finding um, guitar and, and, you know, that being, and actually riding a bike, right? The, the like two big, huge moments for me were, were those two discoveries of like, I had always wanted to learn the bike was maybe a little bit more straightforward and, um, you know, 
relatively easy <laughs> to pick up once I actually focused on it. And then guitar was something I never actually, I, I really wonder if I ever would have picked it up again. Maybe I would have eventually. I'd like to think that. But it wasn't something that I consciously was like, oh, yeah, you know, I just put it out as like, oh, yeah, it's probably, you know, I'm not really a musician. I don't think I have that talent. Um, and that's been a discovery that I feel so thankful for because, you know, it is truly one of those hobbies that the gift of having something that you can just pour yourself into and com be completely present and, and um, fulfilled by. And anyway, that's one thing that I really, I feel like I've found is it's not just the act of, you know, finding a hobby, but it's like discovering yourself again and that you're an individual as much as you are a parent. Um, that's, that's a big one for me. And I can relate to that so hard. Um, <clears throat> completely agree with you. I was asked this by my therapist last year. She was like, um, like what, so what, what hobbies do you have? And I didn't have like a quick answer and I started saying things and then I realized that like they were passions and interests that I had, but they weren't actual like activities that I was doing. And the mm. hobbies that I was listening to her were things that I hadn't done since college, like literally things from so long ago <laughs> that I had basically just lost sight of because pre-COVID, my identity had become subsumed by two things, fatherhood, right? Yep. And music. Like those were two things where, because I didn't have any free time. I mean, I just didn't have any free time, like period. Right. So when I did have time that wasn't like at work or doing music, I was just being a dad and like doing things with my kids. There was so no my, space for anything else. So my like hobby, quote unquote, identity was primarily things that I could engage with the kids on. So mm, it was things that they mm. were into that I would get into also because that's the way that I typically operate, right? And then we would kind of ramp sure. up our, you know, excitement spiral and we'd be really into something. But it was something that I was really into because my kids were really into it. And so that was kind of a wake-up call when I, I didn't really have like current hobbies to talk about. And uh, and that was like what led me to to getting into biking again. And yeah. and that, that has become like just a, an absolute centerpiece of my life now. Like it's become a it. true passion, mountain biking and road biking. And, um, and that's something where now the kids are getting into it because I'm into it. Mm. And so Jude and I have been doing both road biking and mountain biking like many nights a week. And we have this tradition now we did last night also on Fridays where we'll take like a long sunset ride. Like we'll wow. get our coats on because it's going to get a little bit cold. And like last Friday we did it along the beach. And then last night we did this beautiful mountain trail. And, um, and That's we were awesome. sitting, we were sitting in the bed of my truck afterwards, you know, sweating, just like looking up at the sun going down. And he was like, that was the best ride I've ever had, dad. I think I'm becoming really passionate about this. <laughs> You know, the fact and that I had he that, could identify that. Oh, wow. Yeah. What a I had moment. that wonderful, that wonderful feeling of like, of like, yeah, that was something that like I helped him get into that mm. he's now going to carry with him. And like mm. these, these experiences and these memories are really great. But yeah, that, I mean, boxing, um, all of these like physical activities that once were things that I would just sort of dabble in. COVID gave me time and space and yes. the necessity to actually yes. be, be passionately engaged with him again. And I think, you know, like fitness was already a thing for me before COVID, but COVID crystallized everything. It was like, we are no longer, I mean, for one thing, for a matter of health, like we have to be healthy, uh, you know, we're not going to go to the gym for a while. So we have to like invest in our home equipment. And that became like another just huge, and in the process of doing that, I learned so much about the human body and how mm. we function and kinesiology. And like, I got super into that. And it's crystallized other interests that I have that I don't think I ever even realized I had. Like, I, I don't think I ever knew that I was passionate about any of these things. They were just sort of things you could do. Right. Um, but COVID gave me this room to be passionate about things again. And what's just briefly, what's interesting about that to me 
is that a lot of them started for me as fear responses, as this feeling of like, so with, with working out a lot, you know, it started as this, like, I got to get healthy. I want to get my shit together. Mm, you know, mortality mm, is mm. real, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> with, uh, with the other ones, it was like, I, why, why do I not have any hobbies? Like, what the hell's wrong with me? Like, I need to go and just like buy a bike and just, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so then like you push through that immediate kind of anxiety response to these things and you find something beautiful within it. And then you forget that there was a time that you were afraid of not having it in your life, you know, mm, mm. but there was a time. And, and that's, that's what I think, you know, when we talk about what we've lost and what we found, there's a sense of, of real self that I have found during COVID. Yes. And the self that I've found is like even more imperfect than I thought he was like even more flawed um, and even less like stable, but in a lot of ways, so much more resilient and so much stronger and so much more curious. And, uh, and so I, I actually like love myself significantly more than I ever did pre COVID. Although I also recognize that I'm even more fallible than I thought I was because mm. like we've made it, you know, that's so interesting. I love that frame, you know, that it was in the losing of oneself or, or maybe losing some of the, uh, the perception of a, of a self that was, you know, maybe, better in a certain way or whatever that you realize um it's the self that you are and, and who you love is actually because of those imperfections and i guess another element that i wanted to talk about in the in that case of you know sort of what we've lost that i wonder about and i actually wonder if this is something specific again in the context of people our age and maybe even the millennial uh, sort of generation um i want to see if i can articulate this right i feel like if you think about the journey that we've been on through our adulthood and you know you had a, a wild four-year um really it started before four-year stretch with with trump and and i don't mean to say the the sort of politics of it but like the nature of um our our lives in the world you know turbulence yeah yeah the turbulence for several years and then immediately right covid right which is has taken us into the now um and that turbulence and one thing that i'm feeling I can't quite put my finger on it, but I think it might be um, some cynicism. <laughs> I think I've lost, I don't know if it's lost a certain innocence within our generation or optimism or what exactly it is. But what I mean by it is um, a certain faith in humanity and the good of humanity. And, and I, I worry about humanity in ways that I, I don't know, I guess I didn't before. And I, just to be more specific, um, I think about the way that people have responded amidst this crisis, um, even in my own life, in my own circle, and and the sort of, you know, lack of belief in things like science and sort of the basic progress that we've made as humanity, and that all surfacing in ways that have felt really harmful, harmful to me in relationships that I've had, um, in, in my own sort of belief in humanity and society. Um, there's so much wrapped up in that one, and I, I don't yet know where that all sort of shakes out but it feels like something distinct to call out that i i feel like i've lost you know a certain level of optimism in humanity or something <laughs> um and every generation supposedly you know as you get older you sort of become classically more cynical right to more conservative is another uh term that gets thrown out there although i you know i wouldn't say politically i'm on that camp but um and so i don't know is this the moment when millennials have sort of lost some of their spark i guess is what i'm asking are you feeling that at all Yes. 
I do. And yet I also think about what we've gained from it. And I think what we've gained is a sense of reality that we probably needed. You know, Mm. I think that I Mm. think optimism, and I say this as somebody who fundamentally feels like I'm an optimistic person still, you know, for the most part. Yeah. I think that I was lacking a lot of knowledge that I probably needed to have to be actionable with that optimism in the past. Yeah. You know, I think that a lot of the social issues and a lot of the misinformation and the distrust of science and, uh, you know, institutions in general, it obviously has been here for much longer than it's just been publicized. I I still, I mean, and again, not to make this a a political podcast or conversation, but I I remember the Tea Party movement for me was a big eye opener. And Mm. and we we were so young for that. A lifetime ago already. (laughs) You remember that? It was so long ago. But I was, I was like, wait, how, what? Like, these people believe we should do what? Like, and they're, and they're comfortable saying what out loud? Just the sense of like, what the hell's going on? And the fact that they were able to get a VP candidate, you know, almost to the White House, it was, it was really weird for me. Uh, and so that sense of like destabilization has never gone away, but, but that, but that like fundamental mindset that led to that has been here from before the Tea Party movement true. for a long time. Uh, but it was something that we didn't know about and we didn't have a We were a somewhat insulated on. from it, weren't we? Extremely insulated from it yeah. by choice and also by situation, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and now, now we are just not like now we are acutely aware of, of people within our own circles also that we just have just crazy different values from. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I mean, it's COVID of course has been such an exacerbator for all of that. But at the same time though, it has meant that like there are, it feels like there are no secrets anymore. Mm, like it true. feels like we see people for who they really are now. And uh, and when you see somebody for who they really are, I think it allows you to at least have more of a dialogue with them. Mm. And I feel like in tw- the 2016 era for me, like I saw everybody as figureheads of these ideas that I had issues with. And I, and I had just made everybody into archetypes, right? So if I disagreed with somebody, I yeah. assumed that we disagreed on so many other things, right? Now during COVID, the people that I, you know, I mean, for, I don't really use social media anymore. So like yeah. I have I have much less that contact with a lot, lot of these agreed. people. It has. Mm-hmm. But that, that means that the people that I do, that I do interact with, and there are many of them who have different political beliefs than I do. Like we have, we don't have a soapbox effect anymore. Right. There's no right. audience. Right. And I also realize, like, oh, we actually believe a lot more things in common than I thought. Like, oh, like a lot more things than I thought we did. It's just on a couple of very loud issues we feel differently. But no, like, maybe we don't yeah. have to talk about the loud issues anymore. <laughs> maybe we can just talk about the other stuff. You know? Yeah, I actually I like that, and I think you've you've reminded me that something we've lost that I would say is ultimately a great thing is any sort of belief in social media <laughs> um, as a connector of people. You know, I mean. There's obviously like, yeah, sure, it can connect to you. You know, you can reach out to like a neighbor. You don't have their info. <laughs> we, you know, we do that occasionally still. Um, but, you know, what it what we thought it was like that. Exa- that's exactly, I think, the sort of what I would say as millennials over these last six years or whatever um, has transformed, you know, because social media started with all this optimism of like, let's connect humanity and over the years, the way it has played out, I think we've come to, you know, cynicism has such a negative connotation. And so maybe that's not quite right. But there is like a dose of reality there. Like, oh, OK, maybe this didn't play out the way we thought it could. You know, maybe maybe that optimism was uh, misplaced or overblown or, or a little bit too naive, you know, and that's OK. Like it's normal for every young person to have a certain energy 
um, that is naive about the world and wanting to change it. And I, I, I'm grateful that new generations will have that. You know, I mean, you see, you see new generations, the way they talk about climate change and, and the world right now, um, inequality. And it's exciting, you know, and I also realize that I'm not there anymore. Like, I'm not that young person in college who thought, like, we could be the generation that ends poverty, you know? It's true. We could be. <laughs> but I don't think we will be. Um, and, and yeah, I, I guess I'm just trying to frame that not as a bad. It's just it's a reality of, of coming to age during this time, especially, I think. And that's that's OK, as long as there are generations that keep pushing us as well um, through this next era, whatever it's going to look like. Yeah. And, and again, I don't think it's a bad thing. And I, I, I think that we use terms like cynicism pejoratively, but they're actually not like cynicism as a philosophical concept is not a pejorative thing whatsoever. It mm, means to question, mm. right? Yeah. So if we, if we think of it as cynicism, not being this, you know, nihilistic bent, but being about like, qu question the things you see, question the news you get, question if what you're being told is actually accurate or not. Right. Cynicism is actually a really blessed thing to acquire, right? And if you can maintain that cynicism while still believing fundamentally in the good of people, that that's that's the challenge, I think, right? I think so. And, you know, I, I remember this coming up in the Book of Joy. I believe uh, Desmond Tutu, who another person we actually lost over the course of this pandemic, no. we should note, um, who commented on the different the distinction between optimism and uh, hopeful, being hopeful, yeah, right. you know, and optimism being sort of a more naive, just general, like default positive outlook, right? Whereas hopeful was still that you you hold hope in humanity even though you see the pain and the struggle and the reality of it right which isn't always uh, something to be optimistic about and I appreciated that distinction I think that could be one helpful way of looking at it too yeah I mean even a way to reframe it is like we went into adulthood believing we were the generation that would fix these problems like inequality yeah. right and we are now in adulthood realizing that we could be the generation that solves these problems, mm, right? Mm, yeah. And then if we aren't, it's not just because we'd like drop the ball, but it's that like life is just more complicated than we knew it was originally, right? Right. Which isn't a reason to, you know, give up, right? I mean, that's, we have to hold the power that we're in, which will increase over the years now as more of our generation become leaders um, and who have experienced all of this as adults, as parents and all of that. And so it's on us to sort of take that in. Um, and do something with it, you know, and certainly climate change is going to be uh, a major <laughs> one of the probably the defining really um, struggle of our lives to, to combat against for, for all of humanity. But anyway, I suppose this is <laughs> going quite, quite astray from the what we've lost and gained. I think it was relevant, though, in the context of these last couple of years and, and you know, what we're feeling. But I, I think it's actually perfectly emblematic of what we've lost and what we've gained, because I don't think if we had this conversation two years ago, even it would sound like this, right? Yeah. I, I think that pre-COVID, there was still this, this, like we were kind of holding on to this little veil of everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I think after COVID, we're like, oh, nope, that there is no guarantee that everything's going to be okay anymore, just in a very deep, in a very deep way. That's well you know? said. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that, but that knowledge is like incredibly powerful, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and it's not knowledge that defeats us. It's just knowledge that can empower us, I think, to be more resilient. And that's something I've been working with a lot, especially with Jude, you know, who's just been having some issues at school, but she's doing really well with, I alluded to this a little bit before, um, you know, things are going really well. And I think part of why they're going well is because we keep talking about this idea of resiliency being mm. the thing that you have control over, right? Like you don't have control over your circumstances. You don't have control a lot of the time over what happens to you. And you don't have control about how it makes you feel all the time, right? Like right. sometimes you just feel afraid or sometimes you feel defeated or anxious or depressed. 
But the thing that you do have control over is how you bounce back from that and how resilient you are, right? Yes. And like, and you have in life, you'll be presented with a lot of circumstances like this where you'll be like, how the hell did I get to this point? Like, how do mm. I get out of this? And you realize you do it in tiny increments. And there's, those tiny increments are how the world changes, you know? Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who honestly is like probably as close to like a personal hero as I have at this point, <laughs> his, his, I don't know if you get his newsletter, but if no, you don't, I didn't you know sign he up one. for it. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just so incredibly wise and like humanistic and wonderful. Mm. Um, you know, and it's like incredibly long and he writes it. You can tell he writes it cause it sounds like him, you know, like everything <laughs> sounds like his voice. Yeah. Uh, and he talks about like what he's done over the month and he talks about lessons that he's learned from people that he's worked with. And he just talks about what life means to him now that he's in his seventies and he's realizing some wow. things that he messed up 70s. along the way. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he had this really nice little passage where he talked about this, this phrase, I just can't. Right. Mm. So like that's become, I think in a lot of ways, the defining phrase of COVID for so many of us, right? I know that I hit that point where I just stopped watching the news anymore because I was like, I just, I just can't. Like, yeah. I just, I just can't. Like, I, I'm not gonna. I, I don't want to deal with this, right? Yep. Um, because it's, it's just too much. There's, there's too much going on. And he, he agrees with that, right? He says that like uh, that everybody should feel that way because there is just too much going on. And That's Ukraine, true. on top of all that, was just this just horrible thing, and it makes complete sense that you would feel overwhelmed. But he said, you know, every time you feel I just can't, replace it in your head with I can and just do that routinely. Say I can. And what you can do isn't necessarily fixing all of these giant problems. It, you can't necessarily be all informed and educated about everything and be a policymaker and actually affect change. But what you can do is think very like specifically about the little things you're doing every day that can reinforce your faith in the world and in humanity, right? Mm. So if you just can't handle the f incredible famine going on in East Africa right now, you can probably still take that bike ride with your kid and be completely present in it and take that little tiny bit of, of you know, human beauty into the next day. So eventually maybe you can do those things again. But this idea that like, that life is about, and, and so I guess looking at COVID and what we've lost and what we've gained, to me, that really is it. Like I did not have a sense of that before COVID. Mm. I had a sense of, we have to fix everything. Everything is going to be solved. We're going to throw ourselves at these problems. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to show up all the time and I'm going to be fully present as like, you know, an idea person in a complex world. And then COVID happened. And, you know, I look back, I think a lot about like early April of 2020 and what a bizarre, I mean, for us, it was especially weird because we were selling our house and buying yeah. a home during yeah. it. But, but even outside of that, like everything was just stopped. Like the highways had no cars on them. We were, we had no idea if like it was safe to breathe on other people. I was still singing. That's the crazy thing to me is that I wow. still had my singing job during that. And we were doing yeah. Easter. We The last time I ever sang with a group of other people in public was Easter of 2020. And we had That's this wild. service that was entirely virtual and we were in N95 masks and we were all on opposite sides of this church singing this like incredibly difficult to hear, you know, thing. <laughs> and um, like, <laughs> and, uh, and like, so to me that like, I left that behind. Like I haven't sung in public with other people again in like a choral setting since, since then. Um, and so I, I look back at that time and how scary and how strange it was. And I think, Going through that and then going through all of this gradual self-exploration since 
has reminded me of the simple beauty of things like hobbies, right? Or of things like having a yes. conversation. It's just like calling somebody you haven't talked to in a long time and just talking to them. And those are like enough of those little tiny points of light eventually light the entire sky up, you know? Mm. So I think a lot of us are finding that. A lot of us are finding that maybe we can't fix the big things, but we can all fix little things in ourselves and in our world, right? And eventually maybe that affects bigger change than just what we have in front of us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the themes that, stick out to me and what you just said are, you know, one, maybe we all sort of did burn out and, and that's a good thing, you know, in the sense that um, we needed to hit that point in order to really find ourselves and what we are capable of and, and sort of build back. And I hope that that, I hope that that's what happens. You know, it's going to be interesting to see where society goes next um, from all of this, but I'd like to think that we're going to ultimately be in a better place because we're facing a reality in ways that we we didn't before and we're also facing our own constraints as individuals and that is i would agree with you you know it's a good thing i certainly have felt that too um needing to understand those constraints in order for us to understand like here's what we actually can do you know um and having a healthier relationship with that ultimately i think is a good thing um and you said earlier you know whereas before we might have thought um everything's gonna be okay like I feel like everything's not okay and that's okay. You know, if I were just putting a label on it, like that that feels like a message that has come through um, and one that we, our kids will have lived through. And that resilience, I think, as you say, will be an important thing that we've all gained in this, the resilience to rise from what we've just been through. And and there is something so powerful in what you said and and that it's like a fundamental tenet. We've talked about it on here before, a Buddhism, right? Yeah. Like the path to enlightenment starts with the simple acceptance that suffering is universal, right? Yep. That that is the universal shared experience, is one fundamentally where there is pain, right? And so I, my kind of closing thoughts here are that acceptance for me is like the biggest realization that I've come to during this entire thing. If I could, if I could sum up my COVID experience, it would be one of acceptance. And that's an acceptance that has taken like such a long time in so many different forms, you know, like I had to accept my mental health issues to be able to eventually address them. I had to accept my circumstances of being trapped at home, trying to work on these huge problems and like accept that that was where I was. And that doesn't mean giving up, but it means like just taking it seriously and and, and living with that knowledge, right? And it means accepting that my kids' childhoods are really fucking bizarre because of this, right? Because <laughs> they really are proportionally, especially Henry, and you know this also from Luke, like they, they are so little and so much of their lives have been lived so in this circumstance. Yeah. And like, I cannot change that and I cannot afford to feel bad about it because I can't do anything about it other than the little things every day that eventually lead to a place where we can kind of build back again. So like this acceptance of what our circumstances are and what we can realistically do with them is something that I just lacked completely before that. And I, and so I guess my kind of closing thought is that acceptance is not a pessimistic mindset mm -hmm. whatsoever, right? Acceptance isn't this pejorative, cynical mindset. Acceptance is actually an incredible place of peace and stillness where you can see things for what they really are. And when you see things for what they really are, you can actually do them. And so I think that for, for me is, uh, you know, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Absolutely. Well, I, I wouldn't be able to state it any better than that. I really think that acceptance, you know, of our own limitations, um, and particularly as parents, as we've discovered over, the, over these last few years, 
um, has been profound. And I think it's with that acceptance that we're now able to operate as more resilient and ultimately um, healthier individuals. Yeah, here's hoping. Here we go. <laughs> All right, well, my friend, we got a soccer that. game. We got some balls to kick. Enjoy. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for talking. Have a great Saturday. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Right. Bye.